niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. Joining me is a jam-packed crew with us. Uh, first of all is Renato Vilches. Renato, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. Just covering a bit from stress throughout college, but excited for the qualifiers and I can't wait to speak about all the news that's happening recently with Peruvian football. Yeah, speaking of stress, uh, stressful week coming up here. Uh, joining us as well is the founder of the Peruvian Waltz and that is Brian Bertie. Brian, how are you doing? G-Day, folks. How are you? We are doing well. Also joining us are the Montalvan brothers. Uh, we have Diego with us. Diego, how are you? How's it going, man? I'm, I'm good. Just getting ready to get this week rolling. You know, wait for the game. For sure, for sure. And finally, last but not least, is Kevin Montalvan. Kevin, how are you? Hey, Peter. Everything is good. Just getting those, those pre-selection nerves going. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's try to maybe ease some of those nerves or uh, make it a bit worse. Depends on how you look at it. We'll uh, we'll dive into both games as promised. We also have a couple of guests that will join us uh, later on um, just to help us break down Paraguay and Brazil. Um, but for now, let's get right into the Paraguay match as it is this Thursday. We're actually less than 48 hours away from kickoff at the time of recording. Uh, Peru facing Paraguay in Asuncion at 7.30 Eastern time. Uh, our recent history against Paraguay is quite good, if I do say so myself. Six straight wins, three of them competitive. Uh, but other than the 4-1 in 2016 in Asuncion, that historic night, uh, every game has been pretty tight, so we'll see if this is a... Uh, Yet another close one. Um, we're going to hear about the Paraguayan side of things from Roberto Rojas of BN Sports, Low Limit Football, and others. Um, but first off, guys, let's talk about the Peruvian perspective of, from this game. Uh, Ricardo Gareca used a similar looking 11 in training today. Uh, it, has, it is as follows. Uh, Gaese, Arbincula, Zambrano, Abram, Trauco, and then in the midfield, you have Aquino, Tapia, and Yotun, and then from right to left up front, Carrillo, Ruiz, and Cueva. Um, Renato, is this the 11 and system that you think Gareca will ultimately use against Paraguay? I think there could. it's a strong chance that this system could be possible. What I do like about it is that he's going to put 4-3-3, which is a system that can arguably suit Rodriguez very well as Rodriguez will be able to have somebody right by him when trying to go for a good chance. The only thing I do seem a concern about is Abram because when you kick account to how he's not played a match since March, you wonder if he will be re- like physically or even mentally ready to just go straight into a qualifying match for his country. But I think and I have my hopes that this formation could work out well if Gareca proceeds to go, especially when you have Aquino on that midfield. When you have both all three, Yotun, Tapia, and Aquino, that midfield be, could be deadly. That is very true. It could actually end up being, uh, well, beneficial for Peru in, in both games because you assume that provided all three are fit, they will maybe also start against Brazil. Um, but Brian, do you expect Gareca to, to go with this current 11 as is, maybe make some changes later on, say, to, to the forward, uh, given that, uh, well, there's probably only going to be one available, but, but but do you see 
potentially uh, this 11 sticking for at least an hour or so in that game. Yeah, I, I see it. Knowing Gareka, he's going to stick to his guts, even though I don't agree with some of the some of the lineup. Particularly, I don't agree with the Bram starting. Like Renato mentioned, he hasn't played a game since March, which, you know, would be acceptable having one player like that. But most of the backline hasn't played very much. Trauco, Abram, and Zambrano lately has been playing the Ortores, but it's not as much as these other players, which, you know, could be an advantage as well. Some of these players play very, very regularly. Um, and, yeah, um, that's the only thing I'm not confident about the match. I think the uh, the rest of the lineup's fine. Cueva on uh, one of the wings is fine. We've seen it before. He's he's not done a bad job. I mean, that's not his uh, perfect role, but he, he, he works. That he does. Um, Diego, do you imagine this is what Gareca goes with on Thursday? Um, yeah, you know, um, I think that I think that system is a system that will work away from home. Uh, my only thing is is this, you know, that that three man midfield. If you ha- if it's gonna be a tight game, they're gonna be tired come come the time to face Brazil, and that is where that's what makes me doubt a little bit because. I feel like against Paraguay, we could attack more. or That's the way I feel. And I feel like because of that, I feel like Peña deserves a chance because of because of the form that he's in, how he's been playing. Um, as Renato and Brian already mentioned, Araujo's, Araujo also, I think, deserves deserves a shot. Um, but no matter what Gareca goes with, I guess I'm going to I'm going to trust in, 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 in what he's doing because he's with them every day. Uh, Kevin, I'll throw you a little bit of a curveball on this. Um, do you feel like Gareca going with this, uh, provided he does stick with this, um, might indicate that this is probably Peru's new go-to formation, or do you think it's just given that they have to play Brazil straight thereafter and, and maybe getting a, a game in in this system might be beneficial? Well, I think the uh, the four-three-three, while it might be a little bit more conservative with Aquino and Tapia, it might be our away for like our away lineup. You know, it's, it's not like we, we've gotten wins, you know, multiple times in Asuncion. We've only ever gotten our first win there. So he might be playing it a little bit safe. But I can I also appreciate that he has options to choose from, like Peña, like uh, Araujo, uh, Cartagena, Farfan. Always a great, great to have him as a super sub. So I, I could see this uh, as a potential starting lineup. Well, okay. Um, I mean, so could I, uh, especially given that it is quite familiar to everybody that will be involved. Yes, some players haven't played a whole lot recently, but uh, you imagine that the fact that they're going to be putting on the Peru shirt, yes, there won't be fans present, but um, just given, I guess, the fact that this is World Cup qualifying, given that this group tends to really rise to the occasion most of the time, um, you feel like that may not be as big of a concern, but obviously we will see. Um, in, in terms of Gadeka's approach, guys, in, in terms of how he might want to have this team set up in certain ways, um, how do you think he's going to deploy the, the, the team overall? Do you think he might put them on the front foot? Do you think he might um, maybe have them try to absorb pressure? Um, Kevin, do, do, how do you feel Gadeka might might approach this? I feel like Aquino will play the highest in that midfield as a just a pressuring machine. Just try to keep recover the ball, get it to Yotun Ortapia, and and make the the attack progress. I think 
uh, Paraguay, from what I've seen, is trying to to be more uh, possession based. So just pressuring them from from the get could possibly produce some results for Peru early in the game. Very possible for sure. Um, Diego, do you imagine Gadeca will try to try to do that, or do you see it going a different way? Yeah, I imagine I imagine it going that way. I think um, in this in this case we need to we need to go for it, um, especially because I feel like. I feel like we have a a better a better team right now than Paraguay, and I think that we have that the the midfield power to 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 run them over in that in that in that area. Okay, and Brian, what do you think? I agree with Diego. Uh, honestly, for this game in particular, I am not in the least bit worried. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit uh, ahead of myself, but our recent record against Paraguay isn't just due to uh, our team just being better. It's, oh, I think it's a clash of styles as well. I think Paraguay and Uruguay style have never really coped well against us. If they beat us, it's because they had better teams. But whenever we uh, play them with the the ball on the ground um, and play their little La Peruana, I don't want to say tiki-taka because that's, uh, that's, I don't think that's the right word. I mean, I guess I suppose you could say that, but every time we play like that, we give them a lot of trouble. And that is... Um, I prefer. I hope Gadeka has that in mind because, uh, like, if Kevin said that they're trying to counter that, I think Paraguay knows this as well. Um, then they might not be as direct, but I don't know. It's might not, they might not be as used to it either. I think the the thing Peru has to do is just keep the ball on the ground and uh, move it quickly. Um, and yeah, we've got to do a lot of counter pressing as well, especially if they're uh, possession based now. So yeah, I I'm not too worried. I think I think we'll get the win. I um I think we'll get the win. The, the one I'm especially the, I, and this is just prediction based for my part, but the the thing I've, I'm thinking is that Paraguay is going to be one of the teams that are going to be battling up for fifth place, in my opinion. So this is going to be one of the uh, big biggest games, and it's the first game. You know, it's throwback to old times where we always start with Paraguay. Only this time we don't play in Lima, we play in Asuncion. So yeah, uh, I I hope I hope I'm right on this. I hope we do get the win. Uh, obviously, you never know with football, but I my prediction is that we will win, and those are my reasons. I do agree with you, though. I think Paraguay will be one of those teams that'll try to fight for the top five and probably will be in that conversation along with Peru and, and a couple others. Um, so, yeah, even more important that they try to get the win. Uh, Renato, how do you think Gareca will approach the game? Are you in agreement with somebody, or do you see it going a different way? I can definitely see Paraguay going possession-based. As I've been rewatching some like clips of their previous matches, and it seems like the coach there wants to go for more possession based. So of course you would think, with Gareca's midfield, especially with Aquino, there's going to be a lot of counters and pressing. I will say this: that regardless of our record against Baruai, this should not be an underestimation of Baruai. This is the qualifiers, especially in the beginning. It has to be taken seriously like you're playing a World Cup final. The whole point of the qualifiers is to get to 2022. And I'm pretty sure Gareca knows this. You want to start very strong. That he does. I'm sure he does. And as do the players. Um, I mean, I imagine Peru will probably end up dominating possession for the most part. And I think Paraguay will try to back off somewhat just because... I think they've given Peru a lot of problems when they've done that, and they've played quite aggressively, um, almost trying to disrupt their rhythm in a way, just by constantly fouling them. And, and as frustrating as it is, 
for the most part, it's worked. Peru's eventually found the breakthrough in those games. And at times when they are, as Brian talked about, when when they play faster, but when they're roaming off the ball, but when they're actually taking shots that are, that are open for them, um, then Paraguay really can't keep up. Even with this new crop of players coming through, you feel like if Peru can just stay active off the ball and try to draw defenders out to, to open up some space, um, then they're going to have a route to goal and should be able to get a win. Uh, regarding that, uh, I, I, I think you've put the nail on the head with that because uh, I didn't describe myself too well earlier, uh, but you, you basically summed it up. I think the problem with Paraguay here is that they often play direct uh, they all have to play direct football, and changing that is not just a, uh, uh, from today tomorrow task. Like, if they want to change that, it's gonna take some time. So, and and I don't think they're gonna want to change it just for one game. So, it's not gonna be easy. So, they'll probably just play their usual Garra Warani game and um, try to go more possession, but without straying too much away from their uh, fluid style, because then that could uh, disrupt the shape of and their, their disrupt their team a little bit. And I, I think they're worried about that. But, but as we know, their 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 uh, direct style doesn't really work well. And it's teams like Peru and Chile. Even though uh, Chile lost both times against them last year, uh, or the last qualifiers, it's a similar style. And uh, yeah, it, they they got to be careful. But it, it's definitely a complicated setup for Berlito. I think he's um this this game is probably giving him headaches just because of the recent record and why that record has uh, stayed intact when Gareca has uh, been around. Well, on that subject, um, in, in terms of a Paraguayan perspective, guys, um, what concerns you about them, if, if anything? Uh, Diego, what would you say is uh, top of mind for you on that? Right now, I would say um, a little bit... A, it would have to be a little bit about Peru's defense, um, since we mentioned that as well. It's their attackers... Some of them are very quick, like Almiron, right? And 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 they've been playing. And the thing with our defenses, like as we mentioned, is that some of them haven't. They haven't. They haven't been uh, playing because their leagues haven't started, or et cetera, et cetera. So that I think is what worries me a little bit. Um, Kevin, on that note, do you feel like? Um, I mean, given that the defense might have a few question marks, and otherwise, you feel is maybe a bit more settled. Um, do you feel like Peru's defense can be had if uh, Paraguay goes a bit more direct and tries to play quickly, especially if Advincula and Trauco are, are, are bombing up the pitch? Yeah, if, if we're too offensive, we can we can certainly be caught on a on a counter from Paraguay. That that is one of my main concerns. Um, I think Gareca may be trying to counter that a little bit with the three man midfield to maybe uh, put out some fires if if Advincula is too high or, or Trauco. But it's just one of those things we're going to have to see as the match progresses. Yeah, it is true. Um, in terms of uh, maybe another concern that Peru might have, Renato, um, there's going to be no Flores, Reina, or Calens. Um Now, some of those losses are, are bigger than others. Um, and I feel like Peru is probably going to be able to cope for the most part. Um but there could also be, and, and this just depends on, on how he's doing fitness-wise, but there could also be no Farfan. Um, and apparently Aldair Rodriguez uh, won't travel to Asuncion either due to injury. Um, how much do you think that will affect things? I think with Farfan out, 
it definitely is going to affect the leadership and the attack in your goal. So we're going to be losing a lot of the experience needed, especially if you want to start strong. But I also know that Gareca recently called Mateus Zucar and Alex Valera to La Selección. And after Aldairu, if he's not fit, I think both of the, either one of them, they have to be the next man up after Rui Diaz. And also regarding Flores, it's a shame to see him be the knight to come to South America to play the qualifiers. But another part of that I was also worried about Flores is that he recently got injured. And you also wonder how he would be fitness-wise or would he be able to maintain his level for La Selección, especially going instantly into the qualifiers. No, I'm with you on that for sure. Um, on the subject, you talked about Sucar and Valera. Um, Brian, both of them obviously getting called up. Do, do you think uh, either might see minutes in in this game? And, and I guess maybe just to extend it in either of these two games? I think Sucar would definitely see a few minutes, uh, especially if Ridias. And this is just a, uh, a not-so-hopeful thought that Ridias gets injured. But if he does... Uh, Sukar will probably come on. Even if he doesn't get injured, I think he'll come on at some point. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to think of any hypothetical situations here, but Valera, I just see like as an extra depth option. I don't think he's ready at all to play in the national team. I think he's warranted a call-up, maybe, but I don't think he's going to get minutes. I think he's just there to um to keep the competitiveness up. Have another option just in case, but I'm not so certain he'll see minutes. If he does, he'll see like 10 minutes at most. And uh, that just um, that's not that's not, I'm not trying to be harsh on him. I think he's warranted the call. It just I think he's the, the lowest in the pecking order at the moment. And uh, yeah, he'll know with this. He'll he'll keep working and uh, he'll get more chances. So that's that's a good thing. But I don't think he'll get the chance now. I'm not a hundred percent sure he's ready for uh to start uh, to get some minutes. No, that's fair. Totally fair. Um, so we'll wrap it up with this guys on on Paraguay. Um. Just your prediction for the match, score-wise, result-wise. You can go any direction you want with this. Um, Renato, I'll start with you on that. It's a very tough one because it's just football and anything can happen. But if I really have to give a score, I say 3-2, Peru, Paraguay. All right, there you go. Um, Brian, what about you? What's your prediction? I give predictions of my own team. I'm just going to say 3-1 Peru because that's the that's the score I gave in, my, in a production league I did. All right, fair. Uh, Diego, what about you? What's your prediction for the game? I think it's going to be a tight game, as it always is in Asuncion. And I think we're going to win 2-1. And there you go. And Kevin, finally with you, uh, well, before me, I guess, uh, what's your prediction? My heart says 2-1 to Peru. Uh, but it, it, is, it is complicated since Guerrero and, and Flores being out is like half our goals from the last cycle. So we really need Carrillo, Rui Diaz, and Cueva to, to step it up for, for La Selección in this match. That we definitely do. Uh, I'm going to go with a tight 1-0 uh, for Peru. I think uh, they're going to somehow sneak a goal off a set piece or something like that. I feel like it's going to be very, um, I don't want to say ugly, but I don't think it'll be aesthetically pleasing either. I, I think it'll be better than maybe what we expect, given that they've been out for so long. Together, that is. Um, but I think overall they'll, they will be able to get the job done and then move on to the Brazil match in a few days afterwards to, uh, well, riding on a high. So we shall see. Um, now we will talk to Roberto Rojas about Paraguay and what to expect.
All right, and joining me now to discuss all things Para Why is uh, Roberto Rojas. You can follow him on Twitter at Roberto Rojas97. Check him out on the Guarani Vision and Low Limit Football podcasts as well as be in sports. Roberto, thank you for doing this. Uh, how are you doing in these uh, uncertain times? Lovely to be here, Peter. Thank you again for having me. You know, certainly it has been such a, a crazy 2020 on all fronts. I mean, certainly as we speak, uh, as I'm here in the United States, we're literally less than a month from probably the most important election in in, in probably my lifetime, at least, and for certainly a lot of people. But I think what will ease off a bit of pressure is, well, I wouldn't even say ease off. I think there there's more pressure about to happen about what's going to be occurring on Thursday and Friday with the start of the South American World Cup qualifiers. I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's been a long time since we've seen all the South American countries compete in competitive matches. So I'm very happy to discuss, obviously, a game for, for both of us that we come in with different expectations, different ambitions, and and I can't wait to this, to dissect all of that. Absolutely. Let's get right into it then. Obviously, Paraguay, I think like every other team, maybe outside of the one they're going to be playing to open up the qualifying campaign, um, they have a, a an interesting period here when it comes to the squad from the looks of it, because they do have the usual faces. Um, a couple of them will be in defense, you would imagine. Uh, we'll talk about squad selection and whatnot later, but it looks like Eduardo Berizzo is trying to blood in some new players, some some very uh, exciting players. So how would you assess the current state of the Paraguayan national team at this point? I think you put it off for, uh, correctly and say it correctly as I would say it. I think certainly this is a national team that is now starting to demonstrate a new generation of players that are really starting to be the main protagonists. I think certainly over the last couple of years where they failed to make the the last two World Cups, uh, especially coming from uh, multiple generation of players that had entered and qualified for four straight World Cups, I think it was only time from that generation to come to an end. And in comes this new generation of players that certainly have a lot to prove certainly come in with that kind of new mentality and obviously the new coach in this case, well, not new, but at least someone that comes into a new process that hopefully can go in the right direction. But I think the state of of everything is that, you know, it's a Paraguay squad that will definitely have a lot of questions to be asked. And hopefully that within these first two games that come of these World Cup qualifiers that they are answered in some shape. I think certainly we will obviously talk about what Bediso has has offered, what these players will offer, but ultimately, and from my, my, from my good money on this, I think a lot of people feel as if divided. I think certainly people will obviously remember those last two World Cup uh, failures to qualify um, as, a, as a huge sting for them. And certainly I think for another half given the amount of players that they have at their disposal they feel ambitious they feel ambitious and and certainly you need that kind of ambition heading into the probably the most difficult world cup qualifying process in the world so ultimately i would say 50 50 in terms of how people are feeling but there are there are pieces that could work and ultimately i think it it all will matter and will all kick off in that first game in, in asuncion on thursday so in terms of the Paraguay squad for this window, Roberto, um, 
what are the burning questions in terms of lineup selection for Paraguay and Merizzo right now? Well, ultimately, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Berisso will manage a lot of these players who are playing in similar positions and also players that maybe are not able to play some uh, certain positions. I think ultimately, I think we can, and obviously we'll get to the whole starting 11, that kind of thing. I think what Paraguay has obviously been grateful for, and not just in 2020, but I think for various years, maybe the last decade or so, um, that they've been blessed with a lot of great defenders. And I think ultimately that's always been their style. I think they've always been a side that obviously maybe are not standard of traditional South American teams that like to, you know, play beautifully, you know, pass and move, pass and move, and, you know, just go all direct like we see with maybe Brazil, Argentina, Colombia. You know, it's it's kind of that more of, of a conservative defensive style where, you know, they want to, work on getting goals from set pieces or, or going on the counter, but also demonstrating that defensive resi- um, resistance more than anything. So ultimately, I think we see those questions um, perhaps answered at the back. Um, ultimately, the, there is still questions in some of the players. You know, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, you look at maybe players like Gustavo Gomez, who's playing at Palmeiras, who's the captain of the national team and has been an important piece for the national team over the last year. Junior Alonso, who's earning a lot of great um, performances at Atletico Mineiro. You know, Fabio Malbuena with experience at West Ham in the Premier League. Uh, Omar Lerete, who at the time of recording just got his move from, from Basel after having a stellar year as one of the best defenders uh, in Switzerland, getting his move to Hertha Berlin in Germany. Um, you know, Robert Rojas performing at River Plate. You know, there, there are just a lot of players out there that are getting that kind of experience and are demonstrating that for their clubs that will be useful for them on the national team. The midfield also will be very interesting because while you do have players that could indeed play midfield, it will be very interesting to see how Berizzo will set up. I mean, you know, I think he understands and he had said this in a press conference just a couple of days ago that he wants his team to attack to always, you know, come from that kind of school of Marcelo Bielsa. Obviously, Berizzo was the uh, played under... Um, Bielsa at national team level and at club level and also was assistant when he was um, Chile coach. So obviously they, he has a huge influence on, on him and, and ultimately, you know, have that team, you know, maintain the style of what Paraguay is and be that defensive and, and try to, to break away and, and utilize set pieces when needed, but also understand that, you know, they want to be that kind of mixture of, what they've been accustomed to and using the kind of ideals that Bediesel wants as a team that likes to pressure up high attack. Um, you know, if, if they lose the ball to recover it quickly and, and, and that kind of thing, I think ultimately with the players that they have, they certainly have those that are capable of doing it, especially at midfield. And obviously Almiron, Miguel Almiron at Newcastle is, is definitely that central piece that, wants the that Benizo wants his team to work around with because he can be someone that leads the attack and also creates if needed um so certainly there are, again i think there are a lot of good pieces to work with i think Benizo will be grateful to have the players that he wants and, and are grateful that that um that they're at the disposal especially given the whole situation with covid and it's given how some teams in South America have been weakened because of maybe players getting sick or or unable to leave due to restrictions. I think Berisso feels as if though he's um he 
feels kind of blessed in a way to, to have a, a so-called embarrassment of riches of having all those players disposal uh, at disposal um, for these two games that are coming up. Well, and this is what makes, I think, this opening game so intriguing because obviously there are not going to be fans um, and it is the first game of the cycle. Um, but Hawaii does tend to be quite difficult to play against for the reasons you mentioned, but with the players now coming through the player pool and understandably Benito wants to expand things uh, in terms of their playing style. It's almost an interesting question of how they're going to approach the game because when they have played Peru recently, and I feel this is the case whenever Peru plays teams like this, um, Badawai have caused problems by absorbing pressure and playing quite aggressively while not towing over the line, but basically tactically fouling a lot is maybe the, I guess, nice way to look at it. But given everything that Berizzo has said in the build-up and, and just the, the players he has, do you expect a similar approach in Asuncion, or do you imagine that he will maybe try to open it up a little bit? I think what makes this game so fascinating is, like you said, there are so many factors. I mean, certainly, and, and this might be a pro or a con for different national teams, um, you know, having no fans maybe takes away the pressure of, you know, obviously, you, I think there's no, um, there's nothing wrong in, in saying that, you know, this is a, a fan base of, of fans from, from Paraguay that expect the most, and it's rightly so, given their history. But at the same time, maybe not having that much pressure um, is, could be important. And, and, and also, in a different, and on the flip side, it's almost as if they, they need to be that kind of motivating factor, because, playing in such a heated Defensor del Chaco with fans jumping up and down and giving their all for 90 minutes, um, that can motivate you. And that can moment, motivate a lot of those players. So it, it's kind of a pros and cons in a way. But yeah, I think when we look at on the pitch, certainly I, I think, you know, as we as you said, I think Peru and Paraguay, excluding the last time that both these teams faced each other in a World Cup qualifier at home, the, the 4-1 win towards Peru um, in Asuncion, both mainly, or at least recently, these games have been quite close. Okay, Peru have won the majority of those last games that they've encountered, but they've been close, you know, 1-0, 2-1. They've been really close games, and it also factors the other guys, too. I mean, certainly history would would think that it will be a similar approach that we'll see on Thursday. I think Paraguay understand that they want to get on the right track, and, you know, obviously... They're playing at home, which is something that they haven't done since, I was looking at it real quick, 1989. Um, so it's been a while that they've actually kicked off a World Cup qualifier um, process at home. But at the same time, it's kind of customary, as, as I'm sure you know, Peter, of uh, Paraguay and Peru kicking off their World Cup qualifiers against each other. Yep. I mean, certainly before 2018, that's that's been the case. So these teams are very familiar, I think, ultimately as well. They are very similar, not just in talent, but also in style, where they want to. I think Gareca and and um, Beriso come from the same school of trying to open up and, and, and work to make their their opponents um, have a lot of pressure, and you know, obviously absorbing that pressure and just being aggressive and and taking the initiative when needed. Um, I think these teams really demonstrate that in in the best way. So I think ultimately. 
if Berizzo is able to play his cards right, and ultimately we have to see what kind of lineup that he'll be able to put on Thursday, I think the 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 good way that maybe Paraguay would want to play is you know try to go all out, you know play with no play fearless in a way, and see if you're able to to get a couple of opportunities when the within the first 20, 25 minutes. And if you do get that goal early, I think even though it's not the right way, or not, I shouldn't say the right way, even though maybe it's not as convincing as one would think, um, maybe just hold off and, and playing conservative. But I, I think that might be more reserved for maybe the bigger opponents. So like a Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia, so on and so forth, where you know they can get the goal and just try to play defensive if needed. But I think Bedizo understands that they don't want to do that because they know that this team doesn't have, um, you would say, they don't really score a lot of goals. And while a lack of goal is not a bad issue, um, even if you ha- even in this kind of World Cup qualifying process, I think you have to be consistent. You have to be pragmatic. So certainly they want to go out and, and attack as best as they can and and try to be as convincing as they want. want. And Ultimately, I think that might decide um, this entire matchup on Thursday. I, I would think so as well. Um, maybe just to tie this all together, um, and you touched on a, a few players who could make the difference from, from a Badawayam perspective, um, but how would you expect Badawai to line up for that opening game against Peru? And if there were maybe, say, two, three players that you feel are worth watching from that Badawayam perspective, who would they be for you? Well, I'll, I'll um, answer your second question first. I think, as I mentioned beforehand, I actually mentioned both these guys beforehand. I think ultimately, the, obviously, the main one that I'm sure you guys in Peru, or at least the Peruvian guys, are are interested in as as kind of that more dangerous player is Almiron. I think certainly what he's able to demonstrate with speed, creativity, um, just that kind of flair of, of initiating an attack and, and also if he has to go for an eye on goal and even if he has to track back defensively, I think just being that kind of multifunctional player can cro- can cause a lot of of, um, of headaches for Peru um, when when they go onto the pitch. Um, I think certainly he is the X factor that this Paraguay squad has and I think uh, everything has to revolve around him where all the players have to play for maybe I won't say for Armidon, but definitely try to support him as best as he can so that he can be that decisive factor of, you know, just pacing around the Peruvian defenders and whatnot and trying to create opportunities on the attack. On the flip side, I think with the defense and and mentioning Gustavo Gomez, I think certainly he is someone that, as I'm sure you've seen in games for Paraguay and definitely what he's demonstrated at Palmeiras and like Libertadores or in games in Brazil, that he is that strong force in the attack. I'm sorry, in the defense. So he, he can go and, and and work with clearances, work on tackling, being that kind of that, that that kind of warrior in him that we've that we've been accustomed of seeing over the last few years. I think he's one that you know the Peruvians will need to try to to get by um, in order to create more opportunities. And, and of course. I think we tie it all up in the goalkeeper. I think Roberto Fernandez El Gatito, as we call him. Uh, this is obviously in homage to his to his father, who was a famous goalkeeper, Roberto Fernandez El Gato Fernandez, who was the goalkeeper in the '86 World Cup for Paraguay. Um, I think he's someone that is, you know, he had his experience with Paraguay for uh, you know a couple of years before you know fighting it off, fighting it off with 
with players like Justo Villar, Anthony Silva. And, you know, I, I think now he is the undisputed number one. I think barring a huge injury or or, or something big that season out, uh, he will be in goal. I think ultimately his performances at Botafogo have demonstrated that he is capable of wearing the number one um, and being the goalkeeper. So he is someone that is also, as I'm sure that if it does go that way, can be someone that could stop penalties. I think he's been proven of getting a lot of clean sheets. So, um, and then performances at the Copa America have shown where you, uh, even though Paraguay didn't win a game, they he ended up being the man of the match in all the four games. So, again, I, I think keeping with the virtues of what the defense have always been accustomed to for Paraguay, Gomez and Gatito are the ones to watch out for. And in the attack, if, if one player has to create that and become that deciding factor, I'll give it off to, to Miguel Miron. Fair enough. Um, so then I, I would assume those three will be starting. I think they are undisputed starters. Everybody who is familiar with Paraguay will know that. Um, but then the rest of the 11, how do you see it playing out? I feel like there are so many different options Benito can go with, which is nice for a coach, but also can be very stressful. Yeah, and I think one of the big factors that Pediso has kind of dealt with, I mean, he's been, he's coached, I think, 14 games already, and he's used 44 different players, which becomes a bit of a, of a dilemma, really, where the, where Pediso doesn't really have his best 11. Um, I think that's been a huge debate by a lot of Paraguayans, is that while Pediso is blessed with the players that he has at his, at his, at his disposal, it's also a question of, you know, what can be, uh, you know, someone to what you guys do at Peru or, or Brazil or something like that, of maintaining that base of players and utilizing it consistently within significant matches. Um, I think the defense side is is one that perhaps is the most straightforward. I think you're going to obviously see Fernandez in goal. I think if Berizzo is able to play it properly, he will utilize a back four. So I'd obviously put Gomez and Junior Alonso as your two center backs. I think they are the best center pair, center back pairing that they have. And I think if any of them go down, this doesn't mean that they're out of options. I think, as I mentioned, Balbuena and Alerete and Rojas are good um, understudies for both these two guys. Um, the lack of a right back is the one that really uh, concerns me. There's only one natural right back, and that's uh, Alberto Espinola, who plays at Cerro Porteño. Um I don't know if he's willing or at least is convincing enough to earn a starting spot as of yet, which is why I think if there is someone that will be on the squad and ultimately to replace uh, a player that had done well in Mexico and unfortunately has been sidelined due to injury, which was Bruno Valdez, you will put in Juan Escobar, who ultimately also plays at Mexico in, in Cruz Azul. I think I will see him play at right back, left back, I think it will be a dispute between two players. I think you will see either Santiago Azamendia, who might be more favorable given how much Berizzo likes to use him more often. He was the starting left back in all the four games at the Copa America. A very young, talented player at Cerro Porteño, but also Blas Riveros, you know, someone who actually also got a move, went to left Basel and went to Bromby in, in Denmark. So he's also a good understudy for him. I think for the midfield, it's the big question of where he wants to utilize it. For my money, I, I think it would be better to use a midfield three. So I would put Richard Sanchez, who had also been kind of breaking out since the last year, uh, you know, playing in the majority of the games in the in the um, in the Copa America, uh, got his move from Olympia to Club America, 
in Mexico, where he's also been kind of a of an important player. So I would put him in that midfield. I think ultimately, I think I would like to see Andres Cuas, you know, a, a kind of young, uh, maybe not the biggest center defensive midfielder, but someone that has a lot of heart and, and likes to do the dirty work if needed and, and just be that kind of force in the um, in the defensive midfield position. I think I would put him, who was playing right there at Nimes in France, and then alongside him, I, th- I think I'd, I'd put Matias Villasanti. I think he's uh, another young player that's rising from the from the Cerro Porteño team, uh, the captain of the team that just won the the league title a couple couple days ago. Um, he's someone that I think I would put in, and and from there, um, you know, you go on the attack. I, I think it will be a huge question in whether or not we see Miggy playing as that kind of winger if needed if Berizzo will shift to him playing as a 10, where I think he's at his strongest. So I think there you could put him, but ultimately he can also have a, a good fight uh, to battle for that spot. I think they, I think he will start regardless. It's just a question of where he plays. But Alejandro Kaku Romero, who has also been playing at the New York Red Bulls and has demonstrated his form uh, in recent games of the national team, he's had, I think, two goals in three games and, and to assist as well. So he's definitely on form for Paraguay and he has a huge opportunity and a huge chance to start. So I'd probably put him in that 10 role. And so, which, which means you put Almiron, even though it's not his best position, but I think he can ultimately function if he has to drift out wide if needed, or, or even go to centrally, if he has to, you put Miguel Almiron on the attack up front alongside Dario Lescano, who is coming back to the national team, is, is starting to find that form that he used to have, actually, in the last World Cup, World Cup qualifying process uh, before he ultimately, uh, quote, retired because of lack of selection and lack of playing time. Comes back to a team that um, I think is probably the best option to have, especially given his format. Juarez in Mexico, he's definitely the one that can definitely uh, charge forward and 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 be that kind of main uh, poacher in in front of goal. So I think I'd ultimately put him. So I think it's it's a huge dilemma and it's still a, a question of of what works best. But for my prediction of the eleven, I think that's the one that I think would perfectly line up against Peru on ter- on Thursday. The, the more I hear, uh, you know, the, the the potential choices that Benito has at his disposal and having watched most of these players in action, the more I think to myself, like, Badawai and Peru are gonna be right there competing for one of those five spots. Like it, it's like they're in that camp for me, especially if Badawai can can really utilize all of these younger players coming through because you feel like Maybe at the 2021 Copa America, they're going to probably give them more of an opportunity to see what they can do in a competitive environment and then get them ready for the second half of qualifying. And then that's when they can really push them over the top. And it should be a really exciting and tightly contested game. So on that subject, uh, Roberto, what prediction do you have for this in terms of a scoreline? Well, Peter, you know that predictions in South American qualifiers never go the right way. Never. I think certainly, I think certainly we have learned that uh, given the well, it's, it's it's the norm really. But last World Cup qualifying process demonstrated that the kind of craziness that we'll see. Um, but having said that, I think this is a fascinating matchup, and not even not even 
talking about the Purdue game. I think even for the Venezuela game, regardless of what happens in, in this first one, I think they are... Paraguay is really fighting against two teams where they are kind of equally matched in terms of talent and style, I think. And, and, and to fight for those spots for the World Cup. I mean, uh, I think a lot of these countries have the, the ambition to qualify and, and definitely provide a strong argument for it. But um, I think for Paraguay's case, these first two games come at maybe the best way possible because it's against two opponents where they know that they can equally match up. And if they're able to get positive results in those two games, it will give them a good uh, picture, which, again, you're not going to, you can't say that if you get two wins out of two, that's going to put you into the World Cup. It's a marathon process, but it's certainly important to get off to the right foot and and be consistent. Having said that, I believe for this first game, and you know, as much as I like to be kind of that history geek and looking at stats and whatnot, history proves that uh, Paraguay, you know, they've never lost a home opener in a World Cup qualifier. I think before that four-one loss against Peru is, um, you know, they had a perfect record at home, um, and even excluding the cons of maybe. Uh, not winning uh, their last few matches against Peru because they've always provided difficulties and vice versa. I think it's important for this team to get onto the right foot. And I think ultimately they want to give a good impression and, and knowing what Peru, as talented as they are, and I, I've obviously been looking at their at their players, the, the squad that they have. I, I see that they have a, a few cuts um, on their team and and that's maybe due to injury and or due to the fact that they can't come to South America that might give Paraguay a, a big advantage not a big but at least a some sort of advantage heading into this game and of course it's playing at home in their home turf I will put my stamp in a bold prediction and say that Paraguay comes to the Defensores del Chaco against Peru with the three points uh, I think they will win this game um, but it will be tight I, I don't think that Paraguay I think Paraguay will try to be you know a bit pressured in a way where I I, I could see a low scoring game I, I don't really see a convincing two or three nil game I think if, if it does happen it probably will be like a one nil or a two one um, I guess I'll go for a one nil if I want to be specific because I think Peru will demonstrate uh, a lot of difficulty to this team and it will not make things easy for them. And, of course, it will be vice versa for the Peruvians. So I, I really expect a, a low-scoring conservative matchup that I think could be decided by a set piece or a counterattack. So that, that's my prediction for this game. Honestly, I can see it. I can see anything happening. It, it, it's the freaking South American qualifiers. They're so unpredictable. And I feel like the phrase, uh, it will be tight, is always repeated any time, well, for like at least 90% of these games. And then you, you just never know whether it stays that way or if the doors just blow wide open, which is why we love this uh, qualifying cycle for sure. Uh, Roberto, thank you for all that information, really thorough. Um, I'm sure the listeners are going to very much appreciate this heading into the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for having me. I'm very excited for this matchup on Thursday. Once again, thank you to Roberto Rojas for helping us uh, dissect Paraguay and what to expect from them. Uh, Lots of insight and in-depth info there. uh, And we definitely appreciate it. Let's move over to the Brazil match. Uh, that will be Peru's first home game, once again, without fans present. 
Um, it will be on Tuesday night. The match kickoff was actually moved back to an earlier time just because of the fact that there is curfew in Lima. So uh, that would have been a little bit inconvenient for everybody involved if it wasn't moved. Uh, we'll hear from Joshua Law of Forbes regarding Brazil later in the segment. Um, but for now, both teams are traveling to Lima for this one because they both uh, start, well, far away from Lima. Uh, but Peru does have the extra day rest at this point. Um, Kevin, do you think that could be an advantage in Peru's favor? Well, it, it's all a logistics issue at this point. Anything uh, related to us, you know, playing at home is an advantage technically, even if there's no fans or anything. I think the guys will appreciate the extra day, but I don't I don't see it being a big factor in this match. Diego, obviously we have to discuss the fact that there won't be fans. I mentioned it a couple times, but how do you think that's going to affect things, not having that, I guess on one hand, that, that, that cauldron that could really put the pressure on Brazil, but, but could also on the flip side put the pressure on Peru as well? It's, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be weird to see, right? Um, because Peru fans are, are always very, uh, very passionate. And you see that, you hear that in the, the, the chants and the singing and all that, the screaming, the, you know, the drums, everything. But, um, this is unfortunately what we have to go through right now because of COVID. So, um, it, it will, I think it will affect, um, it hurts us a little bit, I think, because it. I think nowadays the fans have been on Peru's side, and and having that extra push will will definitely hurt. But um, but I think the boys will go out and do what they do, just like Gareca said today. Um, you know, he said, "Everyone, don't worry, we're gonna go out there and get, do the job that we need to do." There you go. That's all you can ask for. Um, all right, into the match itself. Um. Brian, do you expect any rotation from Gadeca from that 11 that we discussed earlier about, about the Paraguay match, uh, if any? And uh, do you think that the 4-3-3 will remain for this game? Like, do you think that's a foregone conclusion? Honestly, I think it's too soon to say right now. I think that depends on how the Paraguay match goes. Um, we've seen, if there's anything that I can say, uh, patterns suggest that Gadeca will just use the same lineup he uses all the time. Or the same lineup he uses against Paraguay, if it works, that is. But um, yeah, I I don't see any changes otherwise. I think that's he's just gonna use the same lineup. That, assume assuming it works against Paraguay, he's gonna use that lineup. So yeah. Renato, what what do you think? Do you expect any changes from uh, provided Gareca goes with that eleven from that Paraguay match into the Brazil match? Well, as Brian said, it really depends on how that Paraguay match goes. And considering this is Brazil, that's when Gareca will probably want to be extra cautious or like he wants to make sure what to find the exact way to stop Brazil, especially given all their players. But if I can see maybe at some point he can insert Bania if he wants to add some more creativity and add attack in at some point. Actually, yeah, not a bad shout, especially if the game is, is close and, and Brazil's there for the taking, um, especially on counterattacks. Benya is someone who likes to shoot, um, so why not? Why not try it out, provided that option is there? Um, Diego, do you expect any changes whatsoever, be it to the system or, or to the selection? I, I expect the system to be a 4-3-3 against Brazil. Um, the selection will depend on, you know, 
how the players come out of this Paraguay match, who's selected in this Paraguay match. Um, I, I would I would assume that against Brazil, you would have Tapia Yotung and Aquino as a three-man midfield. But um, I guess we'll see what happens against Paraguay. That we will. Uh, Kevin, any, any changes that you could possibly foresee for Brazil at this point? I expect it to be the same lineup, but I could definitely see Gareca taking out Rui Diaz for Farfan because of that, the experience and, you know, that extra push and leadership you might need on the field so that we can keep it in a tight game throughout. Yeah, I, I could definitely see, a, a you know, number nine being switched, um, possibly a winger as well. Just depends, I guess, on their fatigue levels, on, on whether they get injured. I mean, obviously, so many variables can change between now and then. So if that does indeed happen and you're listening to this after the Y match and before the Brazil match, apologies, but obviously we, we can't really predict the future at this point. Um, but yeah, I think the 4-3-3 remains. I think most of that 11 stays intact. Um, just really the number nine and maybe one of the, well, basically one or two of those front three. I feel would be the changes if there are any. I think everything will try to stay the same. From Brazil's perspective, guys, um, there are questions about who will play right back for them just because Danny Alves is no longer there. He was obviously a vital player for them um, and obviously being one of the better right backs of of our generation, that's going to be a huge loss. Uh, But Alisson is also hurt in goal um, and you imagine Ederson will step in for not just this game, but maybe also the Bolivia match as well. So how will this influence uh, Peru's approach, do you think, Arnato? So regarding Dani Alves, um, it's, as you said, it's a massive loss for Brazil. And right back's actually the area that has the biggest question mark in Brazil right now. And right now, do you imagine Danilio of Juventus would step in? But with what we've seen of Danilio with Brazil so far... It's just a mixed bag. So maybe I could see that right area of Brazil as a good way for Peru to find ways to counter that. But also with the goalkeeper, considering we know how like great Alisson is with his saves and keeping, and that's also another big loss for Brazil. And let's be honest, with Ederson, he's like a ticking time bomb. He can make some great good moments, but... You could possibly see a Gaiesi like error from that Brazil game coming in. And trust me, Ederson is, as I said, the ticking time off. He can make an, a horrible error at any moment. So, a few advantages for Peru, but it's just a wait and see. Brian, what do you think about uh, the potential conundrum at right back for Brazil? Maybe also Ederson coming in. Obviously, he was uh, culpable for uh, the Abram goal last September. See, I've been talking to a few Brazilians before this, and I always take them with a grain of salt for, to begin with because Brazilians are very negative towards our national team, even more than we are. So, like, they're so negative. Like, some of them said that we were going to knock them out of the Copa America in the group stage. So I'm, I'm not taking anything they said seriously. But this time, I kind of am because I've looked at some of those uh, – some of the holes they've had, uh, as well as some of their uh, recent friendly performances and other friendlies, but it, it's not been convincing at all. It's, even in, in our game, they were not convincing. So, and since we're playing in Lima, I'm not that concerned. Uh, of course, the game is always a coin toss. You can never say you're for surefire going to win against Brazil. That would be silly. But 
yeah, that 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 goalkeeping spot is a massive hole. Alisson is, is by far and away the best Brazilian keeper. Ederson is just not quite at the snuff, in my opinion. And Danilo, I've never been a fan of. So, yeah, they definitely exploit that side, I reckon. Um, but, you know, I, I, you could say the same against us. I mean, I already know what's going to happen. Chiche is going to tell Everton to attack via Advincula's side, and he's going to get exploited, just like in the Copa America. So we got to watch out for yeah. that. So I hope that... um. I hope that they're prepared for that. I really do, and um, you gotta, you gotta be careful. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm more confident for this one than I usually am against Brazil. But I still don't, I still don't. I'm not gonna say it's a surefire win. Is it definitely isn't, and never, never is against a like Brazil. So yeah, if you want my prediction, I'll just give my prediction now. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna my heart says one nil Peru my my brain says one one Brazil just like in the old days. Well, there you go, pretty bold. Um, all right, Diego, do you? I mean, on top of the uh, potential right back conundrum as well as Ederson coming in, do, do you see maybe any other uh, areas that Brazil could be exploited? Oh man, other I mean, <laughs> th- those th- those are the biggest areas because then in in attack they're pretty solid midfield. I think they have a pretty solid midfield as well, and the other sides of the, of the of their defense is 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 pretty solid as well. I think so. Not really. I think I think that that would be the way to go. Although I, I don't think Ederson is as bad, but but I I obviously yeah, Allison is number one for a reason, and then Danilo's hit or miss. So yeah. I'll just jump in quickly. There's one thing I forgot to say. One of the players Brazilian fans are very pessimistic on, and you know this could be a mixed bag because international football is a whole different beast. But uh, Thiago Silva, who has not been performing well for Chelsea, uh, he could be one to exploit as well. Brazilian fans do not want him to start. They say he's going to be an open door. Although I, I'm not getting over overly confident about that. I mean, if Thiago Silva replicates his club form, then yes, that could be a place to exploit. But I also think that. Um, International football is completely different. I mean, we've seen a lot of Peruvian players just get transformed when they put on the national shirt. And uh, another example I can think of is Pepe for Portugal. He doesn't, he's not exactly at the highest level anymore, but every time he puts on that Portugal shirt, he always looks top class. So we gotta, we gotta make, we gotta remember that. But let's just, let's just hope that that is one uh, that we got the Thiago Silva of Chelsea and not the Thiago Silva of Las Copa. Yeah. Because he has been quite good for Brazil, no matter usually what his club form is. Although even with PSG, he was usually reliable. Nowadays, maybe not so much just because he's adapting. Um, Kevin, do you see any areas potentially other than right back and potentially goalkeeper that uh, could be exploited? Um, I, I find this to be a very difficult match. I don't think uh, Brazil will have problems finding subs for any injuries. Uh, and honestly, Gareca and Chiche are, are like the only two of the of the three managers from the last cycle. So I I personally expect Chiche to to have already had this planned out. I do rate Ederson, so I I don't see any issues there. I I just see this as a as a tough match for Gareca, and and maybe we'll we'll grind out a result. But um I'm seeing a zero zero personally. I would honestly take that at this point if you were to offer it to me. Um, on the flip side, guys, um, left back for Brazil has become recently the more, I guess, attack-minded fullback um, in, in this kind of new look system that Chiche has been deploying in recent friendlies. 
Um, and as Brian talked about, given how poorly Advincula coped in both matches against Brazil at the Copa last summer, um, will that be an area to possibly watch and, and maybe even as well for for Miguel Trauco because we obviously know that he can be a little bit defensively suspect as well. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? It is uh, one of the one of the possibilities for us to exploit. I think that's Carillo should be starting there. And if he's on his day, he can possibly make some magic in, in that side of the field. Diego, I'll, I'll throw this to you maybe as a potential, uh, one of those potential changes. Um, do you think that someone like, um, and, and I know people may not like this, but uh, someone like Andy Polo could end up starting on that right wing just to help Advincula cope on that side? Yeah, you bring up a good point, Peter. You bring up a good point because, yeah, Andy Polo, I mean, he could. He could because of what he offers the team in that systematic play. You know, he he will go back, defend, and just stay put, not offer. He won't offer anything out of the ordinary, I guess. Um, I know people don't like that, but the coaches love that about him, that they he, he, he gives them what they want. Um, so, yeah, that is a possibility. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about that till you mentioned it now, but uh, certainly one to think about for sure. I believe he also uh, came in in the Copa final, and that's kind of when things unraveled because it wasn't a very effective substitution. Um, but look, there's a reason why he is called up usually, and it is that he can offer multiple things for you tactically. Um, people may not like it because obviously it doesn't translate to goals and assists, but look, if, if, if Gadeca sees him as useful, then that's fine. I mean, I could definitely see it happening for sure. Uh, Brian, do, do you maybe see it happening or do you think that Carrillo is, is destined to start on that right side no matter what uh, challenges that Vincula might have? I think Carrillo is uh, destined to start on that side. However, uh, I do think that um, regarding your Vincula and Trauco point, they're very two they're very different types of uh, I guess how do you put this uh, poor markers I guess you could say uh, with Trauco he's just a slow player he's not that fast so he does he needs a little bit of cover on the left side which is why Flores is going to be a miss I think uh, more than his goals but uh, Trauco is a slow Adikula just flat out laziness like. At times last year in the Copa America, which I, I I was a new thing for me because I didn't see him do that before. Uh, he he was playing like your your good Peruvian fella, like where he just instead of running back to track back his man, he goes back walking, just like casually jogging, like it it it, it just not it's just very unadvincula like because he's never been like that, but. It, that that's that's a bit of a worry because I know Rabbi Kano is not getting on too well either, and I I could assume that's the kind of thing that's going on with him, is just as what we saw in the Copa America last year, where instead of running back to track his track his man, he would uh, just jog back or wa- go back walking. Uh, you can tell the age is getting to him as well, but I think it's more laziness than anything. Trauco is just slow. It's, it's, uh, there's no other way to put it. He's always been slow. So, yeah, I think he has great anticipation, but he doesn't have good outright marking. And that's why we need someone on the left to cover him. Otherwise, we are in a bit of trouble. We, we probably could be. Um, Renato, do you uh, anticipate Advincula potentially struggling? Do you see uh, a change happening on that side? N- not necessarily, you know, a like-for-like replacement for him, but just something to maybe help him. Um, 
do you maybe see another area to exploit as well from a from a Brazilian perspective against Peru? Like, is there something, some other area of our team that that, that could be targeted? Well, I've been noticing a lot of recently during those matches of Peru that Vincula has been really been poor. One thing that you really no- been noticing about Vincula is that he really leaves so much defensive gaps open. And when you got Brazil's wingers like Everton Soares. You know that they're gonna go. They're gonna capitalize instantly. However, I do see one silver lining, that is Pedro Aquino. And with someone like Pedro Aquino, he will just, like try his best to support the fullbacks on the right side. So I can definitely see Pedro Aquino like giving the support to Advincula, especially also if you got Carrillo on that side. I definitely do not want to see Andy Polo start on the right wing because I think some of you forget already that this happened during that 5-0 loss against Brazil and that did That's not right. work out well. That's why I'm very, very, like, do not want him that happening ever again. And we do not want to happen to see that at home. That's the worst thing we can ever think of. But also regarding Trauco, it's something also I'm more concerned about because the fact that he's not been playing much at St. Antoine and also that, let's be real, as offensively great, great talk Drauco is, when it comes to his defensive, that's also the same problem that Avincula has. And also because we know Florida is, that is also another problem. But that also means that maybe you can have Yotun step in to help like Drauco with his support. Let's just hope that they, they can find a way. But that also makes me wish that Davido was there because you, uh, he would have been the perfect match for Trauco's support. No, but I think, I think um, honestly, that Renato makes a good point when it comes to the midfielders. Like, if, if uh, the wingers stay the same, uh, you, you imagine that Carrillo will, will track back at times. Um, Cueva, if he starts on the wing, potentially. Um but I, I feel like, given that Yotun generally plays and combines with Trauco usually on the ball, you feel like maybe he could kind of help protect that side. Aquino or Tapia, the same thing. Probably probably Aquino more so, as uh, Renato mentioned. Um, and, and that could be a way to, to help ensure that the fullbacks have a little bit of extra cover on that side when they're going up against uh, Brazil's wide players. So, so that could definitely be a, uh, a trend to watch. Um, Let's get our predictions now, guys, to, to close out the uh, the section. Uh, we got Brian's. Renato, I'll start with you first. What, what is your prediction? Oh, man. Against Brazil, it's unpredictable, to say the least. It's almost universally impossible to predict. But if I have to be very, very, very hopeful, 1-0. Peru, Brazil. Uh, I can just expect an Ederson error, and pff, we're won- we won. Hey, it happened last time, so why not again? Um, Diego, what's your prediction? Oh, man. Uh, I have to agree with Brian. I have to agree with Brian. I think uh, my heart tells me the same thing. 1-0. Uh, but my head's telling me 1-1. One, one. All right. And Kevin, what about you? What do you think? I'll stick to my 0-0 zero, zero prediction. All right. Fair enough. I I will also go with 1-1. One, one. Um, I, I can definitely see... Peru getting a result this time just because I think both teams will be cold. I think Brazil will be rotating quite a bit from the Bolivia game. I think that's where you're going to probably see a more experimental lineup. They'll probably end up putting more of their starters in that game against Peru, and they might be a little bit rusty, hopefully. Um, And then that could end up seeing them maybe just having an off day. Peru gets a result, and we are probably happy with that. 
Um, here's hoping. Now we'll bring in Joshua Law to hear more about the Brazilian national team. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by freelance sports writer and broadcaster Joshua Law. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Joshua M. Law. He'll be helping us catch up with all things related to the Seleção and Brazil. Uh, Joshua, first of all, thanks for joining us. How are you doing in these unpredictable times? A pleasure to be with you. Um, I'm fine. I'm all right. Looking forward to the international break, unlike it seems everybody on Twitter. But yeah, it's, when you watch South American football, the international break's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I, I mean, despite the ongoing pandemic and I guess the reluctance of uh, some clubs worldwide, understandably so, uh, we are going to have World Cup qualifiers in South America. Um, we'll get more into the uh, other logistical issues later, but uh, Chiche's side, like every other team, it seems, is intriguing with a new cycle beginning, some new or fresher looking faces uh, in this call up. Uh, so how would you assess the current state of Chiche's side at this point in time? I think it's very difficult to assess the state of any of the Combinball sides at the moment because it's been so long. It's almost a year since they've played. So it's really, really difficult to say you don't know who's in form and and because of the situation we're in, you don't really know how fit the players are for any of the teams. So, so it's it's very, it's a it's a situation in flux. And I think Chichi is still in the process of rebuilding the team a bit, uh, a process that began after the 2018 World Cup, which Brazil were slightly unfortunate to go out of, but they needed to renew the the squad after that after that loss, because there were quite a lot of old players, particularly in midfield. And the, the Copa America last year was part of that process and a successful part of that process, you have to say, uh, given that they won it and that they were able to introduce new players to the to the fold. Um, I think that process is, is still going on. Um, I mean, you see in this, in this uh, squad, there's players like Bruno Guimarães, Douglas Luiz uh, and Gabriel Menino, I think we're going to talk about a bit about later on, who, who've not played, um, who don't have experience. Rodrigo, who, who's very, very young. So it is part of that that process. And because of that, it is quite difficult to, to assess exactly where they are. But I expect them to be strong um, going into these two games. Um, uh, they've got a lot of informed players coming into this. Uh, Neymar was fantastic in the Champions League. His Charlison's on fantastic form for for Everton, and in the midfield, it's it's still really strong. There's there's good competition for places, so I expect them to be to be a strong side still. Yeah, I think everybody pretty much expects Brazil to always be one of the top dogs, if not the top dog, every single time a new cycle begins. Um, we were talking about it a little bit off air, Joshua, but. Do you think that Brazil will experience more hardships than other national teams in South America, given uh, clubs' reluctance to let players leave in this window, and, and especially given that a lot of these players do represent some of the biggest clubs on the planet? Um, no, I, I honestly think the, the, the smaller nations will suffer more from this um, because Brazil's pool of talent that it's pulling from is bigger. They have more options. If somebody drops out, they have more more to choose from to bring somebody in. And it, it seems to me that the, it, it's MLS that is most reluctant to let players go. 
and Brazil don't have any players in MLS, whereas some countries, including Peru, have several players playing in, a, in North American football. So I think um, those countries will suffer more. It doesn't seem that the European clubs have taken a stronger position as MLS clubs. So I think they'll be okay. Um, there's a whole psychological element to it as well about traveling and and feeling comfortable in that situation. But I don't think Brazil will suffer any more than anybody else. And if anything, I think it will be slightly less. That, that is fair. Certainly MLS has been very, very uh, hesitant to let certain players go. And in some cases they have kept uh, players and, and or come up with some sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge agreement. Like, you know, if you go this month, then you can't go next month, that sort of thing. Uh, we'll see how that affects the other nations as the cycle continues. Um, but how much will no fans play into things, especially with Brazil traveling to Lima, where Peru tends to cause problems? I think in in Lima, it plays into Brazil's hands slightly because, because you don't get that cauldron atmosphere that, that is you can get sometimes. If, for example, Peru score an early goal, uh, which which is could happen, you, you don't get that constant pressure of the crowd. It, it's a more um, relaxed atmosphere. It's a more it allows more sort of emotional stability. Um, so away in Peru, I, I think it will play into Brazil's hands slightly. I think it will be a slight advantage at home. When they play, when Brazil play Bolivia, I think it will make absolutely no difference at all. To be perfectly honest, um, the I would expect Brazil to comfortably beat Bolivia at home, and uh, the crowds at Brazil matches are terrible anyway. So there the, is just watching a Brazil game in person has become a status symbol for the sort of. Um, economic elite of brazil so you, you go into the stadium and there's just this sort of deathly silence and um when something goes wrong there's booze it might even be a to a, a brazil's advantage because of the way um brazilian uh, brazil silly cell fans not club fans silly cell fans react in the stadium when when it's not going all their way so if anything i think i think this is a it, it's a positive it's never a positive not having fans in the football set definitely true about the different uh, atmospheres when it comes to say Brazilian club football especially in the Libertadores and the Sudamericana and then you compare it to the national team games it's like night and day really um so yeah certainly certainly won't uh, make too much of a difference I think if not like you said it might even benefit the national team in this case playing at home um into the squad itself Joshua um Allison recently withdrew from the squad due to injury. It's not the first time that's happened. Uh, luckily for Brazil, they do have a, and I say this very loosely, but uh, more than capable backup in Ederson. Um, he started against Peru in the friendly defeat last September uh, and was caught out for the winning goal, although he wasn't really the only one at fault. I think that was a litany of errors on Brazil's part, uh, not to mention it was a friendly, you tend to take the foot yeah. off the gas, etc. Um but how much do you think this will change things for Chiche, if at all, given that obviously they have a, a, a pretty easy one to start out with against Bolivia, but then it turns up a little bit against Peru, who have at times caused Brazil problems, uh, certainly when it comes to going forward, but certainly at the Copa America, it wasn't as much of an issue, no matter who was in goal. Obviously, 
Alisson is a miss for any team in the world. He's, a, he's probably the best goalkeeper in the world. Very fortunately, Chichi has one of the other best goalkeepers in the world, probably top five. Edison is not in great form, I would say. He's certainly not in the sort of form that he was in two years ago uh, when he was running Alisson very close for the, for the number one spot. He made a mistake at the weekend for Manchester City. And it, it does affect, their, it might affect the confidence and the sort of comfort level of the, of the centre-backs. You just, they have more experience playing with Alisson, so they will feel more comfortable with him behind them, knowing that he's there rather than Edison. Not because Edison's a bad goalkeeper, just because of familiarity. Um, so it does, it, it could make a difference. Like you said, I think you're doing Peru a little bit of a disservice. I would say they're considerably better than Bolivia um, and will present a, a much, much sterner test. I expect, um, again, it's difficult to, to analyse because of the, the gap we've had without international football. But it is, I, I, I'm not overly worried. I, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. And he can, he can, the quality with his feet is undeniable. So it doesn't change the, the way the team plays. But it does bring that slight possibility of a spilt cross or, or a corner that he comes out to try to collect and doesn't like what like happened at the weekend for Manchester City. So it, it might make Peru feel a little bit more confident or send, send more men up for set pieces, just try and apply a little bit more pressure. But it's like, like you said before, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a big drop-off, is it? It's not, you're not bringing in somebody completely hopeless. No, definitely not. Um, and yeah, maybe that's a little bit of the Peruvian pessimism in me. Um, I mean, that they have gotten a little bit better as they've played more games against Brazil. Obviously, that friendly victory was was massive, but it was just a friendly. Competitively, it's been a bit different. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, given that it is a new, fresh cycle. Um, and, and also, as we discussed a little bit, uh, some new faces for Brazil. There's obviously no Dani Alves, um, who had an outstanding Copa América, 36 years of age, uh, including that massive five nothing went over Peru where he was simply unplayable. Oh, he was man of the match and well man of the tournament, wasn't he, at the end. He got the Oh yeah, he was ter- terrific, which I mean just goes to show you how sublime he is. Um but we talked about him a little bit already. Um uncapped Palmeiras youngster Gabriel Menino, uh who can play right back is in the squad, along with a few other younger players of course, but uh him specifically, Joshua, do you see him starting either of these games or getting any sort of minutes at some point in this window? Or do you think that Chiche is going to rely on someone a little more uh, polished when it comes to the national team, at least, in Danilo? I think this is this is the most interesting question from a Brazilian standpoint going into this uh, international break. Uh, the the, the right-back dilemma, because Dani Alves has been there for so long and been so good for so long, it's sort of masked this problem that Brazil have at right-back where there is nobody anywhere near his level. Um, Fagner went to the World Cup. He's a good player, but not even close to Dani Alves. Danilo is unreliable. Um, so Gigi's gone for this really improvised solution, which is Gabriel Menino, who, who, like you say, can play at right back. He's not a right back. He's a central midfielder, which again tells you something about the tactical setup. 
in that game that you mentioned, the the Brazil Peru, the five 0 at the Copa America, Dani Alves, you could clearly see that he he's become a sort of fullback midfielder. When Brazil have possession, he moves into midfield alongside Casimiro, and it was Artur playing that day. But I don't think it will be. I think it will be Bruno Guimarães playing this time, and. That is a function that Chichi wants his right backs to perform, which allows you to play a classic number 10 rather than a third central midfielder and three forwards, three attackers. So he, he wanted somebody with similar characteristics to Dani Alves. I don't see that being Danilo. So if you're taking Gabriel Menino as this experiment, if, if he plays well in training, I think he does have a, start, a, a chance of starting a game. I personally... Would like to see Fabinho, the the Liverpool Fabinho, uh, playing at right back. It's a position that he's played earlier in his career. He played there for Monaco, and if Chichi wants his right back to be this sort of hybrid, fullback central midfielder um, position, then Fabinho is to me the obvious solution. Uh, I don't know if he'll do that. I don't know if Fabinho will want to do that. I think he'd probably rather battle for that central holding role with Casemiro. But it's a very, uh, it's an interesting issue in the team. It's a, it's a dilemma for Chichi, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Gabriel Menino, just to talk about him for a second, he, he's come through at Palmeiras. He, he pretty much didn't play until this year. He's played fewer than 30 professional games. Um and the vast majority of those as a midfield, as a central midfielder, he's played very, very well. He scored a fantastic goal in the Libertadores the other week. But it's a massive, uh, it's a gamble. It is a gamble. Um, we'll, we'll see how he does. I, I rate him as a player. I think he's going to be uh, very good. But whether he can step up and step out of position is, is a... It's a possible weak spot, let's put it that way. If I was Gareca, I would be looking towards that area to try and target that area of the pitch to to get in behind, possibly, to put pressure on. Um, so it's a fascinating little uh, subplot, I think. Certainly is. Um, given the mixture of youth and experience in the Brazil squad, um, and, and we talked about it a little bit here, um, how do you expect Brazil to line up for uh, the Peru game? Obviously, it's difficult to judge because you will have the Bolivia match where you can maybe test out a few more things. Um, so do you maybe expect Chiche to stick with the same formation he usually goes with um, and maybe to go with maybe leaning more on experience in this game to, to be able to get the job done, go to Lima, and then come away with three points? Like you say, if Chichi is going to experiment, the experimentation will take place at home against Brazil, which is th- uh, against Bolivia, which is theoretically the easiest game of the entire qualifying campaign. So if we are going to see, for example, Gabriel Menino playing at right back, I think it will be in there. He'll see how it goes and then go go forwards from there. It, away in Peru, I think we'll see the more the more experienced players, the players that we've seen for the last two years, certainly last year at the Copa America, uh, with Marquinhos and Thiago Silva at the back, uh, Henan Lodge, I think, will play at left back. And he'll be a more of an overlapping outside fullback who, who provides attacking width and impetus. 
Um, and then there'll be, I imagine, two two holding midfielders with Philippe Coutinho probably playing in front of them as he's playing at Barcelona now. Um, and then a, a front three with, I would imagine, Neymar on the left drifting in. Uh, and then perhaps Hishalison on the right, depending on how his, his ankle is. Um, he, he picked up a knock for Everton at the weekend. Possibly Rodrigo. I think we might see Rodrigo against Bolivia again, uh, testing out the young players. And then the, the centre forward position is the other interesting, interesting one. Hishalison could play there. Firmino played there uh, um, against uh, at the Copa America last year. He's never really, really made that position his own. He's never really impressed. There's a lot of doubt around him in Brazil, and he doesn't fit particularly well in the system. He drifts into that space that Neymar and Felipe Coutinho occupy just in front of the uh, of this opposition centre-backs rather than running in behind. So, so I think Chichi might try out another another centre-forward in that position, possibly Hishalison, or he now has brought in the op- option of Mateus Cunha, who, who I think is a, a really, really good player, um, who plays for Hertha Berlin. Again, he, he, he's not an out-and-out centre-forward, um, but I think he, he has more presence in the area, perhaps, than Roberto Firmino. I would, I would like to see him playing, uh, at least get some minutes on the pitch during this international break. No, I agree with you. Mateus Cunha is, is someone who has that improvisation, the willingness to shoot. He draws fouls. Uh, he can be a handful for opposition defenders mm. just because he can play so many different ways, uh, which will be nice for Chiche to have, obviously, because he can use him in a variety of ways. Um, to close it out, Joshua, uh, let's get your prediction for the match itself. How do you see it playing out? I'm going to say a Brazil win, but I don't think it will be easy. I, I, I think perhaps 1-0 or, or maybe even a draw, a 1-1 draw. I, I don't think, because of that element of not having played together for so long, that they might take a bit of time to sort of gel together again. And for that reason, I see this international break being low scoring, except Brazil, Brazil-Bolivia, perhaps, cause, because of the, the difference in, in pure quality. So, so when I expect the game away in Peru, Peru to be, to be tough. All right, I would actually agree with that as well. I, I'm maybe leaning more towards a, a narrow Brazil victory, but I feel like it'll be similar-ish to uh, I think it was in 2016 when Chiche first took over, yeah. um, and they went to Lima and they won two nil, uh, yeah. but they really had to grind for that result and, and really work hard for it. Yeah. Uh, so I could see something like that. That was a hugely important well. moment in in Chiche's tenure i think actually it sort of confirmed him as the as uh as a manager who could go and get results in these really really difficult games away games that i mean no no team wants to go to lima and play it is a difficult place so this game will i think be another tight one far tighter than the games we saw at the copa america last year certainly yes Yes, here's hoping, especially for the neutrals as well, and and for both sets of fans, no matter how partisan you are. Uh, Joshua, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, is there any sort sort of work you'd like to plug? Maybe tell the uh, the listeners where they can find your work. I guess if people want to follow me on Twitter, like you said, it's at Joshua M Law. 
if you're interested in Brazilian football, I'm always tweeting plenty about Brazilian footballers, uh, both in Brazil and abroad. So um, give me a shout on there. Uh, check out my work there. And thank you again to Joshua for that information. Uh, should be a very entertaining, scintillating match, and hopefully not a repeat of the 5-0 for everybody involved, whether you are partisan or a neutral, because we would not like that at all. Um, let's close out the show, guys, with some uh, tidbits quickly, um, making the rounds. Uh, Rodrigo Bilka officially joined Newcastle. This was on Monday. Uh, he's going to stay with the youth side and, and with the club in general until probably January as he settles in to uh, to England and Europe in general. Diego, given that you've been following this closely, w- what are your thoughts now that the move has been made official? It's um, it's great, you know, that, that another Peruvian is abroad, for sure. My thing is, I guess, after, after hearing Gareca today say that he was disappointed in the price, um, I definitely felt that, you know? I felt like, yeah. Peruvians are so underrated, so undervalued, and and I feel like um, I feel like I hope that this is this is just the beginning of more youngsters going abroad, going abroad and 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 making a name for themselves and and just keeping uh, the name of Peru in the highest esteem, the highest regards, and and more clubs start seeing that Peruvians are good footballers and that they deserve to be you know bought at at a decent price. Absolutely. For sure. Um, Kevin, Christian Benavente joining Royal Antwerp. Um, is this encouraging that he's returning to Belgium, a league where he previously thrived and, and was getting linked to, to top five leagues? It is. It's encouraging. Um, I definitely hope he can find that, that level that he had, he had had at Charleroi and, and can definitely perform to that expectation. This way, we might potentially see him challenging for a spot again in La Selección, or you know, making an, another positive jump in his career. Everyone can have a uh, you know a setback. It all depends on how you get how you bounce back from it. Absolutely, very very crucial. Um, Renato, I'll get your thoughts on on this one. Um, Jean-Pierre Reiner moving to Cartagena in the Segunda on loan from Cadiz. Um, this was coming because uh, Reiner has been, well, Cadiz specifically have been trying to get him sent out on loan for a few weeks now. Now that it's finally done, what are your thoughts on the move? I mean, it was such a shame that he couldn't find himself a place at Cadiz because he looked like he was really looking forward to play in the first division of Spanish football, especially so he can be on Gareca's radar, but I guess it just didn't work out, especially after getting an injury during the middle of his season last year. But I believe this move at at Cartagena could help him get back on track and also rebuild himself. Do I see him like being on Gareca's radar? Well, the central defenders are is possibly the biggest that Peru has, and you can even argue maybe there's even more stepping in like stepping in like John Franco Chavez. But the one thing I can say, he's always an option. Reiner will always be an option, and if Gareca needs him, then the depth is great. That is true, Brian. I'll get your thoughts on this one just to wrap it up before we talk a little bit of Liga Uno. Um, Botafogo's vice president came out recently in an interview and said that Alexander Lecaros uh, hadn't liked the training and had struggled to adapt to Rio de Janeiro because he's not used to it. He was obviously from uh, you know the provinces of Peru, so he wasn't 
you know, he wasn't adapting very well. But earlier in the season, we'd heard that he'd been impressing in training. So, I, I mean, I don't really want to ask you what's going on, but just what are your takes from from, from this saga? Firstly, I don't trust any anything that a Brazilian president or um, a Brazilian club president, rather, although you can apply it to any Brazilian president. I'm looking at you, Bolsonaro. Um you can. You, I don't trust anything that any of these presidents say. Like they just, they're as bad as Peruvian, uh, as Peruvian uh, directors. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, I I don't trust them all. I, I don't trust them at all. But I don't think that Legado was ever going to be a big sign for what the follow. It was always no risk. So I didn't really rate him in La Liga Uno. But the few minutes he did get in the Carioca, I did. He did impress me. So it's a shame that he didn't get much minutes. I can see him going back to Peru soon. Maybe for a club like Melgar, maybe one of the Lima cl- clubs. But uh, I do think he has a future now. Now I think that. I didn't think that before, but I do think he has a future now. I just think, um, I just, I'm not sure if it's going to be able to fall. To add more to Brian, I feel like the big reason why Lekaros is not doing well in the training session, if that's true, is something I've always knew from the very beginning, even before Lekaros joined Botafogo. Is that when you look at Lecaros, let's be real, do you think he's ready for Brazilian football? Just take a look at him and you can see Cueva 2.0 in him. He's not he's not physically ready. And considering the intensity and the pace of the Brazilian league, I feel like going from Cusco to Brazil just was not the best smooth transition for him, especially when you also got the cultural differences and also the language. And also, I mean, Lecos is also already in the same boat as Henry Vaca. Remember that name from Universitario? It's it, it's unfortunate. Um, but, I mean, I think you're probably right on that we, physically. And, and I think with a lot of Peruvians, we've had this conversation before. He just didn't really uh, look like he could maybe handle the vigors physically. Um, whereas someone like Fernando Pacheco, who's obviously a bit more developed in that way, would be able to handle it. And we have seen him do just fine for the most part. Um, over to Liga Uno, guys. Uh, Universitario, they have won the Apertura. We've been expecting this for a while. Um, they won it by, well, pretty comfortably, obviously, because otherwise they they wouldn't have been confirmed champions this early. Um, but they will now go into the playoffs, the Clausura. Uh, for those who don't know, it's being split now into two groups based on Apertura positioning, with the group winners facing off in a final to determine the champion, uh, who will then go on to the season-ending playoffs. Um, now that we're looking maybe more towards the Clausura at this point, um, who do we think are going to be the main contenders? I can probably think of one or two, uh, but Brian, who would be your uh, main contenders at this point to to win the Clausura? Uh, I think Giacomba and Carlos Stein are definitely the two by far favorites. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to say same teams. Cristal Lau. Um, well, Cristal won't really favorites. Actually, I don't know. I think in the shorter format, it's a little bit tougher to judge because it, it just, you you could have a, you could you could uh, really show up in game four and by then it's too late. So it's not like, uh, it's not like the upper, it's not like the upper two class pseudo full league table that, um, uh, you you have a chance as long as you don't fall behind too early. Uh, I think here it's a little bit different. Uh, I, I'm going to say Cristal because I think they've been the second best team. Uh, Laou's always in the shout. I think that um, Dark Horse, I'm going to have to say Juan Cayo. Uh, maybe Melgar as well, uh, I, depending on who they hire. I don't know if uh, Valencia is going to stay in charge. But Melgar has the team to compete. It just 
they just been a little bit one-dimensional. And uh, one guy needs to sort out their little uh, Neumann problems because Neumann, Neumann's a better player than Monsalvo, but when Monsalvo plays, they play much more like a team. It's it's kind of an odd one. So, But, yeah, I think those those four are going to be my favorites. Uh, there's a lot of dark horses, as we saw in the Apertura, because the league is very tight. I think La is head and shoulders above the rest of the league. He started not far behind, and then the rest, uh, maybe like – Six team, six other teams: Juan Cayo, Cinciano, Manucci, Ayacucho. I can't remember the other two. They're high up on the table, but those those teams are going to be competing as well. Uh, any any anyone below that is not going to compete. Obviously, Yacoamba, Stain, uh, Cusco, Sport Boys. I'm seeing improvements in Atletico Grau, but I still don't think I still think they're quite far behind to be able to compete. Yeah, totally fair enough. Um, we'll close it up with this, guys. Uh, there is going to be a new Sudamericana format for 2021. It'll feature uh, 32 teams, uh, two from each country except Brazil and Argentina, who will have six each. A big surprise. Call my ball, obviously, wanting to give the big two a bit more representation. Uh, but it'll also include uh, four eliminated teams from the Libertadores as well. Um the top four in Peru will still qualify for the Libertadores with the champion and runner-up automatically getting into the group stage, as usual. Um, but fifth to eighth in the table will play uh, qualifiers of sort to get into the Sudamericana to determine Peru's two spots. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on this altered Sudamericana format from a Peruvian perspective? The the format itself, I like. I like having a group stage, I, I think. For starters, it guarantees more matches, so there's more uh, money from Conmebol coming to the teams. And I don't particularly mind, you know, uh, teams having to eliminate each other. Like the, what is it, the bottom from from fifth to eighth in the league will have to play uh, a playoff to, to actually make it. I think that's fair since giving the prize to eighth and seventh position seems a little bit much. Uh, I disagree with Argentina and, and Brazil having practically half the teams if you count, uh, or the potential to have half the teams if you count the, the teams that come from Libertadores uh, and whatnot. But uh, it, it should be interesting. I, I'll, I'll give it that. I think it's it's a positive step overall. Yeah, I I see pros and cons. I do like the overall format. I think the way they allocated the teams maybe not as ideal, um, but it should be a bit uh, a bit more competitive from fifth to eighth. Knowing that uh, you know just because you finish in the top eight doesn't mean you're guaranteed a place. You kind of have to fight a little bit harder for it, which I guess will be nice for certain teams to have. Uh, well, guys, that'll do it for us. A jam-packed show tonight, but for obvious reasons, with the return of uh, Call Me Ball qualifiers coming up this Thursday. Hope you all enjoy the games um, and follow the show at Peru Waltz. This'll do it for us. This is the Peruvian Waltz team, and we are signing off. <laughs>